A rogue is really only as good as their equipment, and the best rogues also have the best tricks, tools, and gadgets for eliminating targets, passing unseen, and operating to extract objects with belligerent or diligent owners. The following magic items we're about to talk about are made specifically for characters of the rogue class, or people that have roguish activities in mind, and might be found at your convenient local black market, depending on how, I guess, uh, convenient your DM wants it to be. Let's jump right into it with the Rod of Sleep. This rough club of white ashwood is inscribed with psychedelic interpretations of the plane of sleep. You gain a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls with this magic weapon. If the sleeper takes damage or a creature spends an action attempting to awaken them, they may repeat the saving throw, ending its effect and awakening on a success. Undead and creatures immune to being charmed are immune to this effect, obviously. This rod regains all spent charges every night at midnight. And then we have Knife of Butterflies. This silver folding dagger is playfully inscribed with images of pink butterflies. You gain a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls with this magic weapon. As a bonus action, you can twirl and spin this folding knife, which magically causes illusionary butterflies to appear and swarm around you, obscuring your movements. If you do, make a performance check, and until the beginning of your next turn, any creature who targets you with an attack or a harmful spell must first make a wisdom saving throw with a DC equal to the result of your performance check. On a failed save, the creature must choose a new target or lose the attack or spell. This ability doesn't protect you from area effects such as an explosion from a fireball. Once the knife creates illusionary butterflies in this way, it cannot do so again until the next dawn. As you can tell, some of these items are more time dependent as opposed to short or long rest dependent. And then we have Mimic Putty. This lump of dark purple clay has been infused with the blood of mimics and reshapes itself unsettlingly in your hands. The putty can be pressed onto an object as an action, causing the putty to magically take the form of that object. The putty recolors itself and mimics the object with minute detail, and a DC-15 intelligence investigation check is required to determine that it is a forgery. The putty lacks any of the functionality of the object it becomes, and will reveal its putty nature if used. For example, if in the shape of a key, the putty would just kind of mush into the lock rather than turn the lock. The putty can take the shape of any object no more than 6 inches in any dimension, and if pressed into an object larger than 6 inches in any dimension, it will have no effect. Once the putty has retained an object's form for 24 hours, it will again revert to putty form. And then we have the Jadeite Shard. This length of incredibly sharp green glass is surprisingly durable and can be wielded like a dagger. You gain a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls with this magic weapon. Attacks made with this weapon against creatures made of glass or crystal deal an additional 2d8 slashing damage that bypasses any resistance or immunity to slashing damage. As an action, you can use this weapon to cut perfectly through up to 5 feet of glass or crystal objects such as windows, or cut a hole in such objects up to 5 feet wide. The blade cuts through such objects silently and with almost no resistance at all. And then we have slippers of wall running. I wonder what those do. These jet black foot wrappings allow a rogue's natural agility and mobility to reach new heights. Whenever you take the dash or disengage actions while wearing these slippers, you gain a climb speed of 30 feet and can move up, down, and across vertical surfaces and upside down along ceilings while leaving your hands absolutely free. Any movement you take while on a vertical or horizontal surface in this way does not provoke attacks of opportunity either. And then we have the Popper's Coin Purse. Use of bags like these is common practice among many thieves who need to prove that stolen money and goods aren't on them, and they haven't a copper to their names. 
This small bag has a volume no larger than a typical coin purse, but when an innocuous loose thread is pulled, an interior pouch opens to reveal an extra-dimensional space. Creatures examining the bag can only discover this hidden space with a successful DC-18 intelligence or investigation check. This extra-dimensional space can hold up to 5 pounds of material, not exceeding a volume of 6 cubic inches. Each side pouch can hold up to 20 pounds of material, not exceeding a volume of 2 cubic feet. The bag only ever weighs 1 pound, regardless of what is stored within the extra-dimensional space. Placing an object in the bag follows the normal rules for interacting with objects. Retrieving an item from the hidden extra-dimensional space, however, requires you to use an action. When you reach into the hidden pouch for a specific item, the item is always magically going to be on top. The hidden pouch has a few limitations, though. If it is overloaded or if a sharp object pierces it or tears it, the bag ruptures and is completely destroyed. If the bag is destroyed, the contents are lost forever, although an artifact always turns up again somewhere. If the hidden pouch is turned inside out, its contents spill forth unharmed, and the bag must be made right before it can be used again. If a breathing creature is placed within the hidden pouch, the creatures have about 10 minutes to survive, after which time it starts to suffocate. Placing the bag inside an extra-dimensional space created by a bag of holding, a portable hole, or some other similar item instantly destroys both items and opens to a gate of the astral plane. The gate originates where the one item was placed inside the other. Any creature within 10 feet of the gate is sucked through it and deposited into a random location on the astral plane. The gate then closes. The gate is one way only and can't be reopened. And then we have the Cloak of Daggers. This dark hooded cloak has the weight and flow of regular fabric, but the interior is magically lined with hundreds of glistening daggers. While wearing this cloak, you can draw a dagger from the cloak as part of an attack you make with it. Daggers you draw from the cloak in this way gain a plus two bonus to their attack and damage rolls and count as magical weapons. Any dagger you throw or that otherwise leaves your person for more than a round instantly disappears and is replaced by an identical magical dagger that appears lining the cloak. In addition, while wearing this cloak, you can cast the Cantrip Sword Burst. Your rogue levels are considered spellcaster levels for the purpose of this spell, and the spell save DC is equal to 10 plus your dexterity modifier. And then we have the Web Weaver. This almost mythical ring has been passed between crime lords, despots, and countless tyrants who sat at the center of a web of corruption and control. The Black Onyx Ring itself is sculpted into the shape of a large spider, its legs wrapped into a ring shape with a single large ruby making up the spider's abdomen. While wearing this ring, you can gain a plus two bonus to your AC, and you gain immunity to poison damage and the poisoned condition. Now let's talk about the certain little features of this ring, starting with Mother of Eyes. Once you remain attuned to this ring for at least 24 hours, spider webbing spreads out from the ring and coats your entire arm, and tiny harmless magical spiders scurry within them. As a bonus action, you can pluck one of these spiders and transform it into a magical item called a Weaver's Eye. You cannot attune to a weaver's eye while attuned to this ring. You can create up to eight of these magical items in this way, and once you attempt to create a ninth weaver's eye, the first one created in this way disappears with a puff of black smoke. And then we have Eightfold Sight. While attuned to this ring, you can peer into the ring's ruby as an action to spy on any creature attuned to a weaver's eye currently on the same plane. While spying in this way, you see through that creature's eyes, you can hear what they hear, and you can read their surface thoughts as per the spell detect thoughts until the start of their next turn. During this time, you are deaf and blind with regard to your own senses. And then we have Trapped in the Web. While attuned to this ring, you can cast the spell Gias with a spell DC of 18, targeting any creature on the same plane, so long as they're attuned to a weaver's eye, regardless of that spell's normal range limitations. 
You cannot cast Gias on a creature in this way if they currently have an active Gias spell on them, or if you've cast Gias on them in this way in the last 24 hours. And then we have the Wandering Spider. If the ring remains unattuned for 24 hours, it animates into a tiny onyx spider using the statistics of a regular spider that is immune to all forms of damage. It then attempts to travel towards the nearest sapient creature with levels in the rogue class or an evil alignment and reverts to its normal ring form once within 10 feet of such a creature. And then we have destroying the web weaver. If while attuned to this ring and the wearer publicly confesses to any and all of their crimes and is executed by a lawful authority, the ring is permanently destroyed as it animates briefly into a spider before shriveling away and dying. Now let's talk about something quite similar called the Weaver's Eye. Once again, this is a black onyx ring that is sculpted into the shape of a spider with its legs wrapped into the ring shape. While wearing this ring, you gain a plus one bonus to your AC and you gain resistance to poison damage. There's a small caveat though, this item is cursed. Attuning to it curses you until you are targeted by a remove curse spell or similar magic. As long as you remain cursed, you cannot remove the ring and any attempt to do so causes the spider to animate and bite you, dealing 2d8 poison damage that bypasses its own provided resistance. Additionally, wearing this ring potentially provides access and power over you to any creature wearing an artifact called the Web Weaver. And then we have Valentin's Instant High Wire. Favored by the infamous cat burglar Valentin, this metal tube fits in the palm of the hand and bears a switch and a serrated arrowhead at each end. The high wire can be deployed as an action, which causes the arrowheads to fire out in a perfectly straight line, trailing a wire in opposite directions until they impact a solid object or travel 100 feet. If both arrowheads impact a solid object in this way, they magically attach to them, leaving a wire taut and connecting the two objects. Creatures can traverse these wires by walking, climbing, or shimmying along them at half their normal movement speed, or at their full normal movement speed if they have levels in the rogue class, or they pass a DC 15 dexterity acrobatics check. Once the high wire is successfully deployed, it remains in place attached permanently unless the wire is dealt at least 15 points of slashing damage from a single attack or a creature succeeds on a DC 18 strength athletics check to dislodge it. If the high wire is unattached in this way, it is permanently destroyed. If one or both arrowheads fail to attach to an object or surface, or if they impact a creature, then instead the arrowheads and the wires instantly and magically retract, and the high wire resets and can be deployed at a later time. And then we have the perhaps obvious trickster tools. While some of these tools resemble more mundane lockpicks, the purpose of others is eldritch and unclear and they bear bizarre arcane markings. You can use this item as a magical set of thieves tools, and if you do, you may add your intelligence modifier to checks made with them in addition to any other bonuses. And then we have the elsewhere flask. A good rogue knows how to not get caught, and a prepared rogue always has an escape under their sleeve. This small bottle contains a bubbling silver liquid that reflects light in an odd and confusing way. When you drink this potion, you are instantly teleported to a random location. To determine the direction, roll a d8 and assign a direction to each die face. To determine the distance, roll a d4 and the result is the number of miles. You never appear within other objects or creatures and if the resulting location is occupied, you are instead transported to the nearest unoccupied location. And I'm sure some of you DMs out there that love making random like dice tables and stuff like that could really have some fun with this one. And then we have the one trade jack. This odd necklace consists of a sheep's ankle bone dangling from a silver chain. While attuned to this necklace, you can activate it as a bonus action. When you do, select a skill and for the next 24 hours you can make all checks with your selected skill at advantage and all other skill checks at disadvantage. 
Once the necklace is used in this way, it cannot be used in this way again until 24 hours have passed. And then we have the rakish rapier. The pommel of this elegant golden rapier is sculpted into smug, jeering, and mocking faces. You gain a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls with this magic weapon, and as a bonus action, you can cause the faces to animate and distract a target creature within five feet with jeers and other witty banter. Or perhaps just petty banter. If you do, the target must make a DC 15 charisma saving throw, and on a failed save, you gain advantage on all of your attacks against them until the end of your turn. Once this weapon is used in this way, it cannot do so again until the next dawn. And then we have the Grim Monocle. This sharp iron circle has no lens, yet it still is disconcertingly designed to fit over one eye. While attuned to this item, you can pluck out your own eyes as an action, you know, if that's what you want to do with your life. Uh, doing this deals you 1d6 damage that ignores all resistances and immunities. While your eye is plucked out in this way, you can see through it as though it were still attached to your brain. So basically, like, the Mr. Potato Head in the Toy Story series, I guess. If you are adjacent to your eye, you can retrieve it and reattach it to its socket as an action. Your detached eye has one hit point and an AC of 10, and is immobile. Thankfully, if your eye is destroyed, the monocle will regenerate a new one in place within the socket at the next dawn. So. If you lose your eye, you can literally just sleep it off if you have to. And then we have Vashka. Vashka is a serrated short sword inlaid with a jade serpent design left behind by an ancient empire of serpent folk. You gain a plus two bonus to attack and damage rolls made with this magic weapon, and attacks made with it deal an additional 2d6 poison damage. The first midnight after you first make an attack roll with Vashka, you develop a taste for numerous vices, including alcohol, drugs, gambling, and pleasurable company. I must have used Vashka at some point. And you gain a level of exhaustion whenever you go 24 hours without indulging at least in one of these vices. This persists for as long as you remain attuned to the weapon. Interestingly enough, Vashka also has four charges to cast spells. As long as the sword is attuned to you and you are holding it in your hand, you can cast Ray of Sickness for a charge, Tasha's Hideous Laughter for a charge, or Protection from Poison for two charges. Each night at midnight, Vashka regains 1d4 expended charges. Perhaps even more interestingly, Vashka is sentient, and is a chaotic neutral weapon with an intelligence of 14, a wisdom of 13, and a charisma of 18. She has hearing and dark vision out to a range of 120 feet. The weapon communicates telepathically with its wielder and can speak, read, and understand common, abyssal, and draconic. She giggles and mocks creatures that take poison damage or that have the poison condition in draconic during combat. And in regards to Vashka's personality, she was the daughter of a powerful serpent folk warlord who shirked the battle training and responsibilities placed on her by her father. Eventually fed up with her flippancy and disrespect, her father had her soul bound to a sword so that she could never again refuse his orders of battle, like any loving father would do. Conflict arises if the wielder blindly follows the orders of an authority or passes up obvious opportunities for entertainment. Whenever a creature in conflict with her attempts to wield the sword, they take 1d6 poison damage. Conflicts can usually be resolved with a DC 16 Charisma Persuasion check, made with advantage if it includes promises of entertainment or leisurely activities. Overall, Vashka is fun-loving but vindictive and mildly sadistic. She relishes in the pain of authority figures, especially if her own poisons are the thing causing the pain. However, she only really feels this way about those who could control her and has no ill will towards those she considers equals or below her royal station. Why am I unearthing memories of Dave the Barbarian right now? 
While any run-of-the-mill rogue is able to sneak around and deceive their way into and out of most situations, it's the tools and craftiness of the rogue that really determine their effectiveness. I'm willing to bet at least one of these will make its way onto your shopping list for your next session if these sort of deeds are what you want to do. Lastly, I would like to kind of end this video by offering a small tip to you DMs out there. If you really want your rogue at the table to feel rewarded for coming across one of these items, I have found that making physical item cards to hand to your players is always a cool way to introduce and implore noteworthy items, especially things like Vashka that have a lot of extra stuff to remember. So something about having a deck that represents all the tools and weapons you have, uh, it can make players more engaged with their inventory, and it often leads to them using items that they either forgot about or just leads to them coming up with a creative solution for an item that they also forgot about. So if I had to sneak in a DM tip for you guys, that's probably my biggest one. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Be sure to like and subscribe because we put out new videos like this every week. And if you had an item that I missed here that you think is really useful for rogues, or if you have any homebrew items that you made, I double want to hear about those uh, down in the comments. And really just any kind of interesting rogue characters you have. Uh, a lot of my campaigns usually don't feature rogues for some reason. So I'd like to hear about your characters. Uh, hopefully for the next video, I will be returning to my D&D space instead of in my editing space with all of my uh, junk. Uh, but anyway, thanks again for watching. Uh, I really appreciate it. My name is Patrick Ferguson from Skullsplitter Dice, and until next time, farewell.